right. How ironic. We're going to be talking a little bit about fear today. Yeah. My wife, I want to thank her for, uh, you know, she selects those verses that are put in there. Actually, she writes my messages and everything. I just show up and read whatever she writes down on my paper. But uh, anyway, Genesis 32, if you would. Genesis chapter 32 this morning as we get into the word. Continue our series, Encounters with God. Title today's message is Confronting My Fears. Uh, we all have fears, amen? We all have fears. Um, I don't know, probably most of you, if not all of you, have probably have driven over the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. Okay, let's be honest. How many of you, that kind of freaks you out? Okay, anybody? You know, you, you're just driving and you see this behemoth bridge in front of you, and you're at the bottom. And you know, at some point, you're going to hit that level where it's... And you start to go up. And, you know, you just want to keep, keep your mind and your eyes focused straight ahead, you know. And if you, you, but the, but your, your flesh is telling you, hey, take a moment and go, you know, and look over to the side, right? All right? And it, 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 it's kind of scary doing that. Uh, I got, you know, I got a few issues with heights. You know, uh, this past year, uh, Darcy and I went to uh, a, a pastor's conference in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and and, you know, I got out my map and everything, and I plugged it into my phone. And, and uh, what I, little did I know was that map was about to take me through the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway. It was basically a two-lane road, no semis or anything like that, and you're just going up and over and through the mountains. You know, I'm, you know on the way back, we didn't take that route, by the way. But on the way up there, we're just driving, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of cool with it, you know. But my wife, she's like, "Let me know when we're there. Let me know when we're there." She's just covering her eyes. But we're just buzzing all through there, and these cars are buzzing by me. And of course, you get to some of those points where you're at a point where there's nothing off to the left or the right. It's just sky. It's just mountainous. It's just the tops of those huge oak and pine trees that are there, you know. And you know that all it takes is a little bit of this and you're going to meet Jesus early. Amen. I mean, it's just one of those. So you're kind of freaking out as you do that. So I'm trying to keep my eyes focused on that. But nonetheless, every now and again, I'm like, hey, babe, check this out. You know, and look out there. Look at that beauty. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. But at the same time, I know at any moment we could go over the edge and we would add to the kingdom of heaven. So nonetheless, we all have fears. We all have fears. You all know the great uh, uh, quote from uh, FDR. The only thing to fear is what? Fear itself, right? Everybody's got fears. Henry David Thoreau said, Nothing is so much to be feared as fear. The great writer and author, uh, educator and pastor, Henry Van Dyke, he said this, Some people are so afraid to die that they never begin to live. And that is so true. We're so consumed with everything in this life and, and, and even the fear of dying itself. You know, what do people fear? We fear all kinds of things, don't we? We, we fear uh, 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 the cr uh, stock market crashing. We fear uh, climate change. We fear uh, where, whether I'm going to be able to uh, get that pink slip or they're going to lay me off at my job or not. We fear whether someone's going to be sick uh, or whether they're going to be uh, brought back to good health or not. Or maybe somebody's possibly on their deathbed. You know, are they going to be able to make it through that and continue to survive so we can see them for a few more days, you know? Uh, uh, for our young people, you know, you always fear the report card. 
when the report card's coming, or maybe they fear the test or that quiz or, or that exam that's coming up, or maybe standing in front of people and having to quote that poem or speak on a particular story. Uh, mamas, that first day that your baby goes to kindergarten, right? That day, you, you want that day to come, but as soon as it comes, it's like, no, you know? And uh, then dads are like, send them on. <laughs> send them on, amen? And uh, so we, we have all kinds of fears. We fear whether we're going to make ends meet or not. We fear a bad report on a medical test. We fear, of course, the C word, cancer. We fear any kind of disease like that. We fear that we're not going to have enough money for retirement. We all have fears. Maybe it's loneliness after a spouse dies. Maybe it's death itself. We're talking a little bit about that today. How do I address that? And and Jacob had to uh, come across that, had to deal with that as well. So we're going to read, if you would turn your Bibles, Genesis 32. We're going to be looking at that here in a few moments. But before we do, I want to give you some context. I want to give you some background here. Uh, We all, most of us probably know about Jacob. Jacob, the deceiver, right? The trickster. The one who was a very deceptive young man. And uh, he stole his brother's birthright. He stole his father's blessing, which should have gone to the firstborn. And because of that, Jacob's brother wanted to do what to eat? Uh, uh, Jacob's brother Esau wanted to do what to Jacob? He wanted to what? Kill him. Kill him. You've taken it all. You've taken my birthright. You've taken my blessing. I am out to get you. I am furious. And he wanted to take his life. So what does Jacob do? Jacob runs off to his uncle's house, Uncle Laban, and basically, all in all, stays with him for about 20 years there at Laban's house. But eventually, God ordered Jacob to go back to Bethel, to go to Bethel. And in chapter number 32, this is what Jacob does. He obeys the Lord. He returns uh, to Bethel. And what ends up happening is, during these 20 years, Jacob is always in the back of his mind, is Esau out there? Is Esau going to get me? So when he gets back to Bethel, this is really on his mind. So what he does is he decides to send messengers to Esau and tell him, I am your servant. I've got all these things. I want to give them to you. And he got together all kinds of livestock and servants, oxen, donkeys, sheep, and so forth. And the servants went to Esau, found him, and said, hey, Jacob wants to give these things to you. But the servants return and tell Jacob and say, Jacob... Esau's coming for you. Esau's coming back. Not only is it Esau, he's going to have 400 men with him. Now, if you're Jacob, what are you thinking? He's coming to kill me. It's over, right? He is literally afraid for his own life. Verse number 7 in chapter number 32 says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So he developed the plan. That plan was to divide everybody into two companies. Divide them into two companies, and the first one sent that one, sent that one out to meet, Jake, or to meet Esau. And if Esau takes that one out, at least we got a group of people that can carry on the family name, and they can, they can move on and escape. And then in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 32, we see a prayer, which we'll come to and read through here in a few moments. And then in verses number 14 and 15 of 32, chapter 32, Jacob ends up, he, the scripture says, he took what came to his hand. In other words, he selected a gift for what he had to give to Esau. And in verse 16, he he basically said, don't send them all at once. Send them all in waves. Send them in droves, uh, some of your translations may say. 
Uh, don't send all the stuff at one time, but send some in waves so that we don't lose everything at one time. And eventually, he tells his servants, you know what, Esau's going to see you, and Esau's going to ask some questions. He's going to ask you, who are you? He's going to ask, where are you from? He's going to ask, Who's, who does all this belong to? Why are you here? He's going to start asking questions. But the thing is, in the midst of all this, Jacob still stayed at Bethel. He still stayed at Bethel. Then we find later in the chapter that he sent away his two wives, Rachel and Leah, his 11 sons. He told them to cross over the ford of Jabbok, which that river still exists today. It's known for its crystal blue waters, beautiful blue waters. But nonetheless, we find him in verse number 24. Verse number 24, all alone. I want you to stand with me, if you would, out of respect to God's word. We're going to read verses 24 all the way through the end of the chapter and into chapter 33, one verse there. Genesis 32, in verse number 24, it says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he, that is speaking of the man, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go. For the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Verse number uh, 1 of chapter 33. Now Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. Let's pray. Father, we pray your blessing on the word of God now. May it penetrate our hearts. Lord, may the truths that we see here be implanted in our spirit that we might live a greater, more prosperous life for the kingdom of God. Lord, that we might live in such a way that pleases you and you alone, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This man, in verse number 22, he wrestled with him all night. This man, in most of your translations, the word man is probably capitalized. That's unusual. It's because this is an unusual person. It says they wrestle until the breaking of day. Now, the word wrestle there means to grapple, okay? It means to to Wrestle with your hands. It means to seize someone, all right? This was not a wrestling match where there were headlocks and body slams and suplexes and figure fours and all that kind of stuff, okay? There were no DDTs. There were no pile drivers. That's not what this is talking about. It means that they were, they were wrestling and just the hands are just trying to... Jacob was taking this man, which we know later to be the son of God, in my opinion, it's God, that they were, he just would not let him go. And it says that the man did not prevail. In other words, Jacob would not let go of him. But then Jacob makes a statement, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Now what blessing? What blessing was he looking for? I mean, did he, did he bless me with more money? Bless me with a greater family? Bless me for, uh, uh, you know, your promises when you said that my, my, my descendants were going to be like the sand of the sea. 
and we're going to be able to, to be in the promised land eventually. But what, what did he mean exactly, bless me? Well, I submit to you that the bless me there is in reference to the very fear that he had because Esau, he thought, was out to get him. He thought Esau was coming to kill him. We see that all through the beginning of chapter number 32. And in the world's eyes, Esau had every right to do that because Jacob did him wrong, big time. And he thought, Jacob thought that Esau was coming to take his life. And the time that we see at the beginning of chapter number 32 and the very beginning of chapter number 33, all of a sudden, he asked for this blessing. And when the blessing comes, the scripture, we just read it, he blessed him there. All of a sudden, who shows up? Who's right in front of his face? Esau. So then what was that blessing? I believe that that blessing involved courage. I believe that it involved uh, uh, appeasement on Esau's part. That he, his fury and his anger, would be suppressed so that he did not take his... uh, 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 anger out on Jacob and that there would be forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration between these two brothers. Jacob feared. He was, we, we say the phrase, scared to death. Afraid for his life. He was. Fear. Jacob had an encounter with God. An engagement with God. An experience with God in the midst of this Fear. How did Jacob confront this fear? I want to share with you this morning quickly three keys that I see here how Jacob confronted his fear. Number one is this. Jacob simply poured his heart out to God. Look at chapter 32 and verse 9. Chapter 32 and verse 9. It says, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country. You told me to go back to Bethel. And to your family, and I will deal well with you. God, you said this. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother Uh, with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's pouring out his heart to God. He says, God, I've obeyed you. I've done what you've told me to do. It's been 20 years. This has been in the back of my mind, Lord. I knew this day of reckoning was coming. God, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm afraid my brother's going to come and take my life. God, please deliver me. I'm almost scared to death here, God. And he ended up reminding God of his promises. Let me ask you a question. What is normally our first response to fear? We cry, worry, right? Anxiety, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Maybe we, we complain about that fear. Maybe we share it with someone else other than God. But we got a lot of different responses to fear, except for the one true response. Sometimes we just tell others about it. Sometimes we just, well, I'm going to make it happen anyway, right? Or we try harder. If I just just try harder, it'll be okay, you know? 
But that's not what Jacob did. Jacob poured it out before God. He just poured his heart out to God and said, God, you got to deliver me. God, you got to step in here. God, you got to do something. I got no control here. God, you are the one who can save me from this. Please deliver me. It's interesting. I found this out a couple days ago. The most popular verse that was searched on the on, uh, internet search engines, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known to God. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't John three sixteen. The most popular searched verse was Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. There was a little girl, and uh, she was out playing in the yard. And all of a sudden, this, this, this little yappy dog, I'm not talking about a big dog, I'm talking about a little, little yappy dog. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you got some of those, bless your hearts. Those things are the most ferocious creatures on the planet, Amen. I mean, I've been attacked by a dog one time, and it was a chihuahua. And he, he, he was all out after me, you know. And um, this little dog came across the yard and started to attack this little girl. This little girl just running, ah, screaming and running. And all of a sudden, Dad walked out the door. And that baby girl, she ran up there, and she jumped into Daddy's arms, and Daddy just, you know, hugged her and embraced her. And that dog kept on running, got right up to Daddy, just kept standing there, you know, just kept barking and yapping, and, you know. And that little girl just looked down at him and just said, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Why? Because she was in the arms of daddy. She was in the arms of daddy. She, was, she had created that intimate relationship with father, and she knew she was safe in her father's arms. And she had run to him crying out for daddy to help her and for daddy to step in. And this, this is what Jacob is doing. That, that level of intimacy just took place. Oh, God, you've got to do something here. Running to him. Embracing him. Pouring your heart out before God. I don't know what you've got going on in your lives today. I don't know what you're fearing. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what you're doubting. But let me give you a suggestion. You ready? Pour your heart out to God about it. Pour your heart out to God about it. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my, uh, with the righteousness of my right hand. Isaiah 43, 1. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Isn't that a cool verse? To run to God and say, you know what? You're mine. You're mine. I've got you. I love 1 John 4.18 when John says perfect love drives out fear. How can you have perfect love with God? It's all in the relationship. It's all about running to God. It's all about building that relationship and having that intimate, close. You're in your Father's arms, you know? Well, I, I, you know, Scripture really doesn't say anything about this, but I kind of imagine that one day when we see King Jesus in heaven, I just want to jump up in his lap, Amen. Just sit, I mean, I am a joint heir of Christ, amen? I am a child of God. I am adopted. I am in the family. So I kind of hope that I can just jump up there in the lap of King Jesus and say, what's up? <laughs> How's it going? This is awesome. You, this is wonderful. I can't believe heaven is this incredible, you know? But to have that kind of relationship with the Lord, Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Pour your heart out to God. Whatever you're experiencing, just pour it out to God. 
the second truth I see here, the second key is this. How do I confront my fears? You pour your heart out to God. And secondly, Jacob brought nothing to God. Did you notice that in verse number 24 that we read? Then Jacob was left alone. Let me tell you something about Jacob. He was rich. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of servants. He had a lot of herds. Jacob was a wealthy man. But here, in the process of getting ready to see Esau, what did he do with it all? He was ready to, he got rid of it. He was ready to give it to Esau. He was ready to give it to his family. In fact, we, we, we read here, as we read earlier, that he sent his, his wife and children to the other side of the brook or the other side of the, the ford of, of Jabbok, to the other side of that river. And we get to verse number 24, that Jacob, then Jacob, was left alone. Jacob brought nothing to God. His possessions, his servants, his wives, his children, his money, all gone. He emptied himself of everything before wrestling with God. He came before God here and basically was saying, I've got nothing. I've done Esau wrong. He's ready to kill me. I've tried to offer a peace offering, but he's probably going to kill me anyway. God, I've got nothing. I'm desperate. I don't know if any of you have ever been at that point in your life. Maybe as a as a parent, I can tell you I was there, and you, many of you know the story of my oldest son being born. I was desperate. There's nothing more helpless than watching your child be in pain, and I'm not talking about a, a stubbed toe. I'm talking about whether he's going to live or die, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. All the money in the world can't do a thing for you. We don't know if he's going to make it. 50-50. And I remember when our oldest Ethan was born. He was born 10 weeks early. He was weighed first at about two weeks after he was born. Because he was in isolation. He was in ICU. He was in that incubator thingamabobber with wires and tubes and all that kind of stuff hanging out all over the place. And I remember sitting on the edge of my wife's bed in the hospital. And just weeping. I can't do anything. You're powerless. You know something, church? That's exactly where God wants us. When there's nothing you can do, and it's all up to him. That's when the fear can be handled. This is where Jacob is. God, there's nothing. I got nothing. There's no money that's going to stop my brother. You are going to have to step in and do something, God. Take your Bibles. Hold your finger there in Genesis 32. Go with me to Matthew 5. Matthew 5 real quick. Matthew 5. Excuse me, I'm sorry, Mark. Mark chapter 5. I was reading down further. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Two examples here. Mark 5, 21. Just follow along with me, okay? Two examples right here. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again uh, by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, 
saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now we're talking about a religious leader here. He's got power. He's got money. He's got status. He's got fame. But in reality, guess what he's got? Nothing. Because his daughter's on her deathbed. And there's absolutely nothing he can do about it. Verse number 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I may only uh, touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, that must be a cool feeling. He knew power went, you know? He knew the power went out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Who touched me? But the disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She goes back and tells him everything that's happened. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some, of the, uh, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Man, this, this must be beautiful. Jairus, Jairus, don't be afraid. Did you hear that? Don't be what? Afraid. Don't fear. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house, the roof of the synagogue, and saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? This child, the child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and he entered, into the, entered where the child was lying, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. You think? What happened here? We have two great examples where these people had nothing. Jairus, his daughter, he had all the power, all the fame, all the money, probably the best doctors. And what did he have? Nothing. And he realizes. So what does he do? He comes to God. This woman had been to doctor after doctor after doctor for 12 years. And they just made matters worse. Guess what she had? She had nothing. Listen, if you're struggling in, in fear, you're struggling in, in what to do for God, if you're struggling with, 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 with whatever anxiety, listen, we've got to stop depending on all these ancillary things around us that don't make a hill of beans. Amen? We're so caught up in our things and our agendas and, and our plans and everything. When we need to say, you know what, I need to put those to the side and say, God, I got nothing. I need you to run this life. I need you to be in control of my spirit. I need you to make my plans. I need you to come in and infiltrate this life 
and fill me, Holy Spirit of God, and run the show. We talk about God being on the throne of our hearts. That's what we're talking about here. Because when there's nothing else there to fill the throne, now we got room for God. But unfortunately, as believers, oftentimes, we let other things drive our agenda. Church, we live in a time today where stuff drives the agenda of the church. Not the gospel, not prayer, stuff. Stuff that will not matter. What does God want done to the church? He wants outreach, he wants prayer, he wants fellowship, he wants faithfulness. But unfortunately, our lives are so inundated with the things that the world has to offer. We talk about not loving the world, and we're speaking of the world system and the world's philosophy, but yet we fall right into that trap because we feel like we've got to keep up with the world. God wants us with nothing except him because that's when he's able to take that entire slab of clay and work it. That's when he can take those impurities out that are in there. But as long as we're holding on to him, we're not going to be able to be used as God wants to use us. We've got spring coming up here pretty soon. Some of us need to do some spiritual spring cleaning, amen? We want to get new stuff in there, but in order to get new stuff in there, what do you got to do? You got to take some of the old out. Last thing, number three, quickly. Jacob would not let go of God. Jacob would not let go of God. We saw that in our reading earlier. He brought nothing to God. He poured his house heart out to God, and now he would not let go of God. Verse number 24, back in Genesis, he says in verse number 24, he's left alone. He's wrestling with this man who I believe is God. We find that out in verse number uh, 28. He struggled with God. He saw that he couldn't prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip. Can you imagine that? This man, this angel, it's it's the son of God in my opinion. It's a theophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. He touches hip. Boom, the hip goes out of joint dislocated hip and he says let me go and and Jacob replies I will not let you go unless you bless me what's your name and he said your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel he's clinging to him it's it's like you ever uh, dads maybe grandpas you ever had your grandkids or your your children your sons or daughters they they grab a hold of your leg and they don't want to let go and just walking around the house like this you know They just want to hang over. That's what Jacob's doing. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, until you do something here, God. He's holding on to God. And that caused three blessings, three blessings to come his way. Quickly, number one, God brought protection to the vulnerable. God brought protection to the vulnerable. We see that in chapter 33 and verse 1. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and there was Esau coming with him were 400 Men. Look, go to verse number four in chapter 33. 33 4. 33 4. But Esau ran to meet him. Not ran to kill him, he ran to meet him. And embraced him. And fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Boy, he never saw that coming, did he? They wept. He lifted up his eyes and saw the women of the children. And Esau said, Who are these with you? And he said, The children of God, who, that God is graciously given your servant then the maidservants came near and, and they and their children and bowed down and and Leah came and also came near with her children and and they bowed down and afterward Joseph and Rachel came near and they bowed down 
restoration, reconciliation. All of a sudden, he thought he was vulnerable. He thought he was going to die. He thought he was a dead man. He had a price on his head. But God said, no, 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 no. You've laid it all on, on, on the table. You've come to me. You've poured your heart out to me. I'm going to take care of you. Amen. I'm going to take that fear away. And that's exactly what God did. So God brought protection to the vulnerable. Secondly, God brought transformation to the stagnant. God brought transformation to the stagnant. What did he do? He changed his name. His name was Jacob. What? Deceiver, trickster, liar. But he changes his name now to what? Jacob is changed to Israel. Israel, the one who rules and struggles with God. It's a name of power. You became weak. So God made him strong. He changed his name to Israel. It's not the only place. We, we know that in uh, Abram was changed to Abraham, exalted father to the father of many nations. Sarai was named princess, changed to Sarah, my princess. You're no longer just a princess now. You are my princess, God says. Simon Peter was called Simon But then Jesus said, your name's going to be now Cephas, which is a rock. Saul, you hated the church and you killed the people and you threw them in jail and you hated the Christians. You slaughtered them. I'm changing your name to Paul because, man, you are a new man now. You have been transformed by the very power of God. And that's one of the blessings. God changed Jacob to Israel. He changed. He brought transformation to the stagnant. And thirdly, He brought restoration to the broken. Restoration to the broken. Look at verse number 30 back in chapter 32. So Jacob called the name there Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Preserved. The word preserved there, the, the Hebrew word for it means to deliver. Well, isn't that what he prayed for? Back in verse number 11, what did he pray for? God do what? Deliver me. God brought restoration to the broken. He was a broken man. He was going to die. You can't get more broken than dead, amen? I mean, dead is pretty broken. That's the kind of broke you can't fix. But God restored him. He preserved him. Jacob was delivered from what could have been death to him and his family to what was to be Israel and restoration with his brother. Jacob, all because Jacob would not let go of God. You know, I don't know what you're struggling with in your spiritual life, in your your physical life. Maybe you're struggling physically. Maybe you're struggling emotionally. Maybe it's personally. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't know what it is. But church, if we will simply get hold of God. And I'm not talking about, dear God, thank you for this day. Please bless this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Boom, out the door. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Jacob did. On our faces before God and crying out to God with all of our hearts and pouring our hearts out to God. Laying it all on the table to say, God, this, none of this is anything. I, I'm all you got. I'm not much, but God, I'm all that, that there is. And, and God, I'm just offering myself and my prayer up to you. And God, I'm going to keep on coming until I'm just not letting go of you, God. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep calling out to you. When we do that, do you think God will look down on that and say, mm-hmm. I like that. We all think, I know he will. Because we come to him like David with a broken and contrite heart. And all of a sudden those fears become null and void. doesn't mean the situation changes. 
but it means God has transformed you from the inside out. And you respond to it differently. I'm going to close my message this morning with a story I found. Some of you may know who Sheila Walsh is. She is an author, Bible teacher. Uh, she recently, a couple years ago, wrote a book entitled It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And uh, she and her husband, Barry, they'd been praying for a child for years and years, and God hadn't seen uh, the timing to have that happen. And then when she was uh, almost 40 years old, uh, they found out they were pregnant. And the sonogram, uh, they saw the sonogram, and it was going to be a boy. But then she said that there's this one phone call interrupted all the joy, all the happiness. The doctor had asked for additional tests and basically came back with this report. Your baby, and I'm quoting here, your baby is incompatible with life. She said, I stared at her as if she was speaking a foreign language. This was a phrase I'd never heard before. She said, neither Barry nor I said anything. We were just, we were shocked. We were stunned. The doctor went on to talk about markers and abnormalities that they could see in the results. And Sheila says, I could see the doctor's mouth moving, but I wasn't hearing a thing. I, I was just dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. And then, of course, the doctor recommended terminating the pregnancy, recommended an abortion. And Sheila said, I heard that, and right away I said, no, absolutely not. And I'm quoting, this little one will have every day God has planned for him to live. She said, over the next couple of weeks, I was tormented with one thought. I had begged God to give me a child, and now he was going to take him away before we had a chance to love him. Why? She said, I felt like I was falling into a dark hole. Some days I felt angry. Others I was overwhelmed with sorrow. And then one day the tide turned for me. She said, I woke up early and I drove to the beach. This is when they, they lived in Southern California. She said, the beach was deserted and my only companions were seagulls. I took off my shoes and I walked to the edge of the water and I prayed. And she said, I prayed like I had never prayed before. Out loud to the wind and the waves and the birds. I'm quoting our prayer here. Jesus, my heart is aching. I do not understand this at all, but I just want to declare here and now that we are in this together. I've always needed you, but I know right now that I need you more than ever I ever have. I don't know how this will end, but I'm not letting go of you for one moment. You didn't promise me happiness, but you did promise that you would never leave me. I'm letting go. I'm not letting go. I'm not giving up. You and me, we're in this together. And then she writes, something shifted inside of me. I had no idea how long I could carry our son, but I became relentless in my prayers, not for the perfect outcome, but for the presence of a perfect father. And at 35 weeks, my doctor called. And I held my breath. And she told me that the day my results had come back, the results of another 40-year-old patient had come back. And my results had gone into her chart and hers into mine. There had never been anything wrong with our son. She says, I fell to my knees and I thank God. But then I prayed for the other mother who would be getting very difficult news. 
I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I've never wondered if I was allowed to carry her burden for a while. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that when my heart is breaking, I have learned to hold on to God as I never had before in my life. Today, her son, his name is Christian, he's 23 years old, and he just graduated from Texas A&M University. He's going to be studying clinical psychology at Houston Baptist University. She says, I look back on this particular battle, and I'm grateful for how it changed my understanding of prayer. During those weeks and months of not knowing what the outcome of my pregnancy might be, I I prayed out of fear, my heartache, and I began to understand what it meant to not let go of God. Jacob said, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me. That blessing, I believe, was something that he did not, that we did not expect that he would possibly get. It was a different kind of blessing. The blessing of strength. The blessing of life. The blessing of a relationship with his brother that was restored and a blessing of a relationship with God. Sheila and Barry, they held on to God. They poured out their hearts to God, had nothing to offer but themselves and their prayers, and they would not let go of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, and we'll pray. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, as we bow our heads this morning, we close our time together in prayer. Lord, I don't know what fears are represented in here. Some of them may be very light fears. Some of them may be very intense fears. But God, whatever they are, it's nothing you cannot handle. No fear is too big for you to handle, oh God. I pray that we as believers would respond in the proper way. Scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge, but it is also the beginning of a love for God because we fear what may happen to us when it comes to eternity. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You know, one of the things that I believe is good to be afraid of is that our eternal destiny. You know, we're going to live in this earth 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it is, but what then? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? This is why Jesus came, so he could answer that question. He came to tell you the truth, and the truth is that only Jesus can give you life in heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm the way to heaven, I'm the truth about heaven, and I'm the life that gets you to heaven. You can't get there without me. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? If not, i got great news for you. You can do that right now. Right now, in the quietness of your heart, as we said in this message, you can just pour your heart out to God right now. Just say, God, I am sorry for my sin. I know you're holy, and I know I'm sinful. 
and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. So God, as best as I know how, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ to get me to heaven. Please come into my life. Save me. Forgive me. And have a relationship with me. Take me to heaven. Save me from hell. Believers, what have we been dealing with? You got fears? Take it to the Lord. Pour your heart out to God. Lay it all down before God and do not let go of Him. Father, bless this invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.